huge thank you to Hunt a Killer for helping me bring you all this week's podcast episode. If you're anything like me, your ideal Friday or Saturday night is spent at home on the couch in your pajamas, maybe drinking a little bit of wine or some hard seltzer with your family and your dogs. Because I would rather stay in than go out, I absolutely love Hunt a Killer. If you haven't heard of Hunt a Killer yet, it is a murder mystery game told over six boxes. In each box, you will get things like witness statements and autopsy reports, and using these clues, you can solve a murder by the time you get to the final box. At only $30 per box, Hunt a Killer is way less expensive than a night at the town or a night at the movie theater, and it's an affordable way to spend time with your family and relax at home. If you like my podcast or anything true crime related, you will absolutely love Hunt a Killer. And the best part is that with the link in my show notes, you will get 30% off your first box. I am so excited to announce that Chewy has partnered with me to bring this week's podcast episode to you guys. And the reason I'm so excited is because I have personally been using Chewy to supply my dog, Ranger, with food for over three years, which is way longer than I even thought about having a podcast. And so I personally love Chewy here. And the reason I love it so much is because they have such a wide selection of products. They have products for just about any type of pet you could possibly have legally. And they have a great program called the Auto Ship Program. And with Chewy's Auto Ship Program, you can set up a schedule for your pet's food, treats, or whatever you want to give them every single month to come straight to your door without you even having to place the order yourself. And you can even pick the frequency it comes. So for example, we get it every three weeks because that is how long it takes for Ranger to go through his food. And because I love AutoShip so much, I wanted to give my listeners a chance to try it out themselves. And so when you use the link in my description, you can get 30% off your first AutoShip through Chewy. And I think you will see why I have been using AutoShip for my dog Ranger for over three years now. It's just the easiest thing and now you get to try it for 30% off. Welcome back to the Doe Identify podcast. If you are new here, my name is Haley and in this podcast, we try to advocate for unidentified victims and try to be their voice so that way they can hopefully get identified in the future. And if you are not new here, I'm hoping that you can tell a difference with my podcast quality because I invested in a microphone. And so thank you so much for everyone who bears with me through the ads. I'm really trying to reinvest into my podcast so that way, you know, I can make some improvements and, you know, maybe improve the sound a little bit, maybe make it a little bit less echoey. And next on my list is to hire an editor and I am going to kind of release a PR announcement right now. So I am so sorry for all of you who listened to the Walker County Jane Doe or the Carl Koppelman episode when they were just released. I inserted an ad into those episodes without listening to it first and what happened is I misnamed a clip that was unedited and I inserted in a completely raw unedited 
um, ad into my episode and in that unedited ad was me running around my house trying to get away from my dogs and if you don't follow the podcast on Instagram, I have two dogs. I have a three-year-old dog and I have a six-month-old dog. And I recently got this six-month-old dog, and he is an absolute angel in the daytime, but once it's night, he gets the zoomies, and he's just absolutely crazy. And what's really sad is his old owners took him to the pound where we eventually adopted him because he would nip them a lot because he's a German shepherd. And that's what he was doing. He's just one of those dogs where if you're just like hanging out on the ground or if you're just like walking past him, he'll just run up and nip you in the butt. And it can be really painful. And so that's why I was getting really frustrated with them. And that's exactly what was going on in the clip. And so I'm so sorry that all of you had to hear that with me running away from my dogs and being like, leave me alone, please. It was just not my best like dog mom moment. And I am actively working with my puppy to, you know, kind of be better about the biting and really train him to not be, you know, such a difficult dog. But he is very difficult and you will see that if you follow me on Instagram, but we love him anyways and we adopted him for a reason. We're never going to give up on him, but sometimes I lose my cool and I run away from my dogs. And so if you do that, do not feel bad because I do that as well. Sometimes you just need some space and record an ad. You know what I mean? So after that long apology, I am going to go ahead and get into this week's case. This week's case is about a, not only a minor, but a child. And so if you are sensitive about crimes against children, I don't recommend listening to this episode. I can see you next time. But I never go into gory details because I am well aware that sometimes families listen to my podcast and I never want to disrespect the victim or their families or make anyone feel like triggered or uncomfortable and I'm not going to do that in this episode. In the manner in which this young boy died isn't super gory, but I just wanted to warn anyone who who does get really upset about crimes against children, and this just like is not the episode for you. On July 11th, 1963, a toddler was found by a fisherman in the Keene Creek Reservoir. This reservoir is located in Jackson County, Oregon, along Highway 66, which is about 12 miles southeast of Ashland, Oregon. This highway is also now called Green Springs Highway. I don't know if it was back then, but you may know it by either of those names. This highway travels from Ashland, Oregon to Fairhaven, Oregon. It's a relatively small. It's just kind of like a you know, kind of like a side highway. And I want to note that King Creek feeds into this reservoir. So there's a long creek that goes into this reservoir. And then also King Creek starts at the Hyatt Reservoir, and which is a much larger body of water. And so it's like this large reservoir that feeds into a smaller reservoir through King Creek. And I'm not sure if investigators know where this young boy was put into the water but it is just something I wanted to note just in case you know they're not able to rule that out again I haven't been able to find anything that says you know either way 
The young boy was wrapped in an aqua blanket and also a handmade patchwork quilt with red gingham squares. And something that is the most disgusting and nauseating thing about this, skip ahead a few seconds if you don't want to hear this, but he was weighed down by two iron molds within the quilt and this was likely to weigh his little body down. And when I read this, I literally just felt sick to my stomach because, you know, it's not an accident and it's something that like you, the person who hurt him, you know, wanted to hide. And so it was just really upsetting for me to read that and I'm getting teary eyed. There is an image of the quilt that he was wrapped in. And so if you want to see if you perhaps recognize it and, um, you know, maybe if you knew someone who did quilting in the 60s and their son went missing, I would recommend looking at it to see if you recognize it. And a report from KDRV12 says that there was also wire wrapped around the blanket and it didn't give any details on if it looked like the wire was to secure the blanket or, you know, maybe it was just debris or something. But just know that one report that I found says that. This young boy had light brown hair and initially his eye color was unknown due to the level of decomposition. The medical examiner believes that he died in October of 1962, so about nine months before he was found. So he was very much decomposed by this time. But DNA phenotyping suggests that he likely had dark colored eyes and in the sketch of him, he had brown eyes. But again, I'm not 100% sure if they know it's definitely brown eyes or like really dark hazel eyes, but just something to note, dark eyes. The medical examiner believes that the child was one to two years old at the time of his death and his dentals are available if needed to help identify him. Perhaps the most definitive feature about this young child is that he likely had Down syndrome or a similar disability. I can't help but feel like this could have been the cause for his murder if a guardian was the one who murdered him. Obviously, this is the most selfish thing you can do to someone, especially if they are your child. And it's disgusting to do to anyone, but especially a child for that reason. But we do know that it does happen. It's just a really sick motive that, you know, is a possibility in this case. And there hasn't been any ideas of a motive other than this one. Thankfully, we have some leads on where this boy could have been from based on his clothing. And it's believed that he was well taken care of during his life because of the quality and where his clothing came from. So he had on a red long sleeve shirt with horizontal white stripes. He also had gray corduroy pants with an elastic waistband. He had on ankle socks and white shoes called jumping jacks, which were a size three. And investigators believe that his clothing was purchased from JCPenney. And the shoes specifically were likely from Norris Shoe Store in downtown Medford, Oregon. 
Medford is about 31 miles from where the boy's body was found. And at the time of his death, Medford, Oregon had a population of 24,425 people, give or take. It was a pretty poppin' city back then. Um, And so I think that if he was from there, it might not be as noticeable as it would be, you know, in maybe a really small town if someone's child just completely disappeared. I wanted to note that some reports say Norris Shoe Store and some say Noble's Shoes. I looked up the two names and there is a store to this day in a historic building in downtown Medford, Oregon called Norris Shoe Store, but I didn't find anything for Noble's Shoe Store in Medford. And I just looked it up. I didn't just look up maps or anything and I couldn't find anything. So since NamUs and more credible sources say Norris Shoe Store, let's just go with that. And speaking of his little feet, they took his footprints and compared them to other newborns in the area who were born around the same time as him. And considering he is still a John Doe, this clearly wasn't successful. And so to me, maybe he was born elsewhere and then brought to Medford, Oregon, or maybe someone took care of him in Medford, Oregon before he passed away. I'm not sure. I know nowadays, you know, having home births is more common. I'm not sure how common it was back then, but maybe he just wasn't born in a hospital in the area for whatever reason. They have only publicly ruled out one boy, which was AJ Campbell, and I'm not sure why they had to rule him out or why they have to like make an announcement that they ruled him out because AJ Campbell disappeared, unfortunately, in September of 1958, and he would have been five years old in October of 1962. And so saying that, you know, John Doe, who's estimated to be between one and two years old, could be this five-year-old boy just developmentally that makes absolutely no sense to me and clearly a medical examiner should know the difference between a one-year-old to two-year-old to a five-year-old that was just something I noticed and something kind of odd to me and I imagine it's really difficult to rule out people because this young boy did have down syndrome or another similar disability I wasn't able to find anyone who had been reported missing with some type of disability like that in, you know, the 1960s who has not been identified already. And I imagine that that makes it really difficult to, you know, find people, rule them out, so on and so forth. But I did look on NamUs and found one possible match if the boy hadn't been diagnosed with Down syndrome or similar disability. And I normally wouldn't consider this boy, but because reports sound slightly not 1000% certain that he had Down syndrome for sure, I'm not sure if it's because they just like haven't tested his DNA for it or, you know, maybe something within like his physical features gave them the idea that he had some type of disability like Down syndrome. I normally wouldn't consider this other boy because he didn't have any reports of that, but I just can't help but wonder if maybe he wasn't diagnosed with it. And so 
there's just a possibility here, but this young boy is named Mark Eugene Yoli, and he went missing in September of 1962. So this was one month before our baby doe was found. And he went missing from Camp Lejeune in North Carolina, which says online is a Marine Corps base camp. And really the only differences that I can find is that Mark was substantially shorter than Baby Doe. And also, you know, the disability that I was just talking about. Those are the only two things that don't match up. But everything else seems to match up from their weight, eye color, hair color, and even complexion is very similar. And so I went ahead and actually emailed the agency in charge of Mark Yoli's case. And I'll keep you updated on if I get a response, but I'm just not sure if they've ever, you know, considered it because they haven't publicly ruled him out. And some more good news in this case is that in 2021, so in the same year that I'm recording this, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children partnered with the Parabon Nano Labs to revise the construction of the child and the changes are reflected in the image that I'm using for my episode art and also more good news is that on May 12th of 2021 the Facebook page who advocates for this young child and I will link it in my episode notes but if you look up Ashland Baby Doe you should be able to find the Facebook page really easily. They made an announcement that They tested his DNA for genealogy and they found some matches, which is just excellent. But the boy has not been positively identified yet. And I'm really hoping that one, we can of course find out his identity through this genealogy. And two, that we find out who the guardian of this young boy was. Because if it's not Mark Yoli, then this young boy was never reported missing. And to me, that just screams that the guardian or the parent had something to do with his death, unfortunately. Because I can't even fathom losing my one to two-year-old child and just like not reporting them missing. And so I just can't help but feel like that, you know, whoever was in charge of this boy could have been at fault for his murder. I also wanted to make a really fast mention that I wasn't able to find what his cause of death was. Obviously, investigators believe it was murder, but I'm not sure if it was something else. I'm not sure if it was drowning or what, but that's just something that I wanted to make note of. I'm not sure if they're kind of keeping that a secret. So that way, you know, if they ever talk to some suspects that they can, you know, if they say that in their interview, um, if you pay attention to true crime, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's kind of hard to describe, but that is all that I have on this case. Unfortunately, there's really not a lot of press around this young child and I only found him because he was on the unidentified wikia and I just looked up 1960s cases I wanted to cover an older case and I also wanted to cover a male this time because I've been primarily focusing on females for my whole podcast but that's really it I think this young boy's case was just so sad and If we do find out the motive, um, I certainly hope it wasn't because he had Down syndrome because you just have to be like a really disgusting human being to 
to bring yourself to doing that, especially if it's your own child. I also wanted to make an announcement about a previous case that I did. I believe I called it the Des Moines John Doe. And he has been identified as Jeffrey James Larson. Jeffrey was 68 years old at the time of his death. And if you didn't listen to my other podcast episode, he was critically injured and later died because of his injuries due to a hit and run. And his killer is now in jail serving time for his, you know, hit and run accident and not stopping to help this man. Although there were hundreds of tips to help identify this man, all of them led to a dead end. But once the family of Jeffrey realized that they hadn't heard from him in a long time, they decided to call for a welfare check. And that is when they realized that Jeffrey Larson matched up with the John Doe that was found. And something about Jeffrey is that he had a very humble lifestyle. He chose not to have a phone and he really preferred face-to-face visits with his family over, you know, phone calls, texting, and FaceTime. And once COVID hit, obviously contact with his family faded really quickly with the face-to-face visits. And so his absence wasn't noticed right away. And I do just want to express my condolences to the family. Obviously, they had no idea that their family member was deceased. And so there wasn't any closure. There was just like heartbreaking news there. And so to the family, I'm so sorry for your loss. And it really seemed like Jeffrey Larson was a really great person. So that is another case that has been identified, which which is just amazing and I'm really glad that he was identified so soon. And that is all that I have for this week's podcast episode. I'm going to be trying to post a lot more. My goal is to do three episodes per month and from May through July. And so wish me luck on that. Please be patient if it doesn't actually happen because a lot of work goes into editing and recording and researching. And so please wish me luck. And if you want to support the podcast and, you know, help me to reinvest some money into the podcast and really improve my sound and my space, please consider supporting the sponsors of my podcast and also public apology to Hunt a Killer because that is the ad that I messed up and that was probably the world's worst ad. And so, Sorry to them, but I still really recommend Hunt a Killer, and I'm hoping that the correct ad for that played in this podcast episode, and please let me know on Instagram if you ever hear anything odd, because I'm hoping to hire an editor so stuff like that doesn't happen, because I am just so untalented when it comes to editing my own stuff. But thank you so much for listening to this week's podcast episode and for listening to the Ashlyn Baby Doe's story. I truly hope that he will be getting identified here very soon, especially with his DNA. And I also hope that we get some answers on why this little boy died. And I hope we find out who could have done it since this was so long ago. I can't help but wonder if the person who's responsible for his death is now deceased considering it was almost 60 years ago. 
but I just hope that we find some answers. Maybe we can find a sibling or a niece or a nephew of this young boy. That way he can finally be identified. All right, guys, thank you so much again for listening to this week's podcast episode. A huge thank you to Nyx for helping me bring you today's episode. If you don't know what Nyx is, it is a loungewear company that has absolutely everything you need so you can be comfortable on an everyday basis in your loungewear. Let's be honest, most bras are just so uncomfortable with their sharp wires and their straps that are rarely ever truly adjustable and the lack of extender hooks in the back. NYX has completely changed the game and they are devoted to bringing women comfortable everyday bras and sports bras. I personally have five bras from NYX already and I absolutely love every single one of them. And something that I love about NYX is their accurate representation of women. Let's be honest, not all of our stomachs are smooth and line-free and our legs are not completely airbrushed on an everyday basis and all of their models look just like you and me and it just makes me so happy that they have models who look like normal people and they don't photoshop what their models look like and the texture of their skin and thanks to nyx you can get 15 dollars off whenever you use the link in my show notes so you can get an even more affordable bra from them 